Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sisters right here on Be More Radio. Today, we want to discuss a topic that no sister should have to experience, but unfortunately, it's been all too common in our community, which is the tragic loss of a child to murder. And with that in mind, our team thought that it'd be most important to address this subject in the light of the recent killing of 26-year-old Patrick Loyola from Grand Rapids, Michigan, which we will be discussing later. Uh, so... Every day, a mother, one of our sisters, experiences the death of a child through murder. The number of children being murdered in this country is truly shameful. And yet there are still questions on if even whether our own government officials are prepared to address the slayings of our children, our sons and daughters. So today I would definitely love to welcome to our sister stage, our one of our co-hosts, if you will, this afternoon, this evening, who is a very, very accomplished counselor, uh, author of 10 books, life coach, and was host of the hashtag Mental Health Mondays and Conversations on Race on Facebook Live. She has very high energy, and that has impacted lots of people with hope and help and healing. And so please give a very warm sisters welcome to Dr. Sabrina Black. How are you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you so much, Jay Rose. It's great to be here tonight and to be able to share hope with those who'll be listening and watching. It's great to be with you too as well. Thank you for have, for joining us. Uh, also, we are also joined by two mothers who have had to unfortunately live with the tragic outcomes of losing their precious children to gun violence. So please welcome our mothers, sisters, Dr. Cheryl Jones and Miss Snow. How are you ladies doing today? I'm okay. I'm okay. That's good. It's great to have you ladies with us. And we want to first extend our deepest condolences for your loss. And we definitely appreciate you for sharing your stories with us and sharing your children with us. So um, whoever would like to start first, feel free. But can you briefly tell us a little bit about what we should know about your children? Okay. My uh, daughter, her name was Tiani Brown. She was a Wayne State University law student. On um, October 28th, when she finished her exam, she was supposed to come home and she did not. So I started, um, I tried contacting her and I couldn't reach her. So uh, actually me and my husband at the time, we're divorced now, we mm -hmm. um, went down to Wayne State to look for her. And actually the Wayne State police helped to try to find her car. Anyway, we found her after the students and the professor all uh, gathered a search. They all got together and made us and um, had a search team. Then what we did, um, the police found her in her car. It was across the street from the old Packer plant, and she had been shot in the head behind her right ear. Um, it's been horrible. She uh, was a single parent. She had three children, and not only was it devastating to me the children had to endure the tragedy mm. of losing their mother. So she was like their mother and their father because she was a single parent. And um, it's been a horrific experience. It's it's like you, it's like a bad dream that you don't wake up from. Mm. And it takes time. You go through the stages of grief, which I've gone through. And um, then there's anger. So you're angry for a long time because you feel like this person took my child away from me. And she was my only daughter. I only had two children, her and my son. And um, now I'm more at peace, but it's taken, it's been eight years. So it's taken at least six years for me to finally get where I can um, accept it 
and deal with it and um, deal with my life. But it's um, it's a horrific experience. Miss Snow, feel free. Okay. Um, my son, his name is Deontay Snow, um, was getting his life together. He decided that he wanted to walk a better path in life. So uh, one day he decided to go get his hair done. And when he went and got his hair done, um, he was actually arrived for one of the young men that worked there. So an uh, altercation broke out um, at a restaurant down two or three doors down. My son went down there to tell his friend to come on. It's time to leave. And as they all were leaving, the young man just started shooting. Mm -hmm. And my son caught every bullet and passed on the way to the hospital January 22nd of this year. So he leaves behind two loving daughters and a baby on the way that will never see their dad face. And also he has siblings, mom, grandma, all of us were like broken crayons in the house just trying to figure things out the why the everything he was innocent in this situation so i just want the young man um to serve his time for what he did god is our lawyer and our judge in this mm -hmm. we have no say so i'm not mad at god i won't question him but it hurt Mm -hmm. It really hurt. Mm -hmm. We just did an anniversary. He's not here to be a part of our first wedding anniversary. Nor his birthday, my birthday, and now other holiday. Easter was hard. Mm. But I trust God. And I pray for all us sisters, mm -hmm. parents that have to endure this mm -hmm. pain. I've never had anxiety until this happened. Mm. I don't sleep a lot of nights but I'm strong for my other children and my mother, also my husband. So one day we'll see each other again. And thanks for letting me share my story. No problem. It's, it's, this, this is incredibly heartbreaking to hear. And as a mom of two, I, I can't imagine what it would feel like to go through that every day. And, and, and you both mentioned not just the pain that you feel, but also all of the people who also have been left behind uh, as far as family. How how has how has this tragedy affected not only your family, but just your everyday life and, and moving forward? You know, where do you go from here? Actually, when it happened, I was broken and um, I had to be strong because I had to raise my granddaughters. I raised the oldest two and um there were times I remember driving down the street just crying, Lord, I can't do this. I don't have the strength. I did go to therapy and I put the girls through therapy. And not only that, I have three sisters and it hurt all of them. And um, it's unnatural. A parent shouldn't have to bury their child. I was actually planning on getting my ducks in order in case, you know, when I'm not here for her to take over. And I never thought it would be the opposite. It's, it's, it's like a nightmare. And um, I remember many a times crying. And um, I, at one time, I went through maybe three different emotions at the same time. I went from angry. I was driving to work. 
from angry to wanting to cry. And, and I had never felt that in my life. It's like three or four emotions took over my body at the same time. It's, um, but it hurts everyone because I miss her. I still miss my daughter. You know, it's been almost eight years. And then you, you go through thinking, okay, what could I have done? You know, what did I not say? You know, I even thought maybe I should have been there. They could have shot me instead. I actually felt like that because that's how a parent feels about their child. And she was my only daughter. And I still think, okay, if this hadn't happened, how her life would have been. Because we had just talked and she was telling me, and I told her, and I'm glad I told her this. I was talking to her one day and I said, you know, I'm really proud of you. And I never say that. And she started giggling. And so I'm glad I got a chance to say that to her. But she was planning on that I want to buy a house in five years. We talked about all the things she wanted to do. And none of that transpired because they took my child from me. And this is how I feel. They took my little girl away from me. And I always feel that way. Dr. Jones, Miss Snow, my heart is skipping beats as I listen to you talk about your children. Mm -hmm. you're, you're right. No mother, no parent should ever have to bury their child. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the natural progression of life. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and as I listen to both of you sharing your stories, you know, I feel like I know your children. I've had opportunity to read about both of their stories. And, and you're right. It is horrific and it is tragic. And and, and there are really no words sometimes, just express how you feel. And, and both of you are doing an amazing job talking about it. I mean, like you say, even though it's seven, eight years later and, mm -hmm. and, and barely a few months ago, you know, it, it, it's still fresh, it's still new, and it still hurts. Mm -hmm. you, and that's the reality of loss and grief. And, you, and when you describe that, those emotions all coming together, that's that tangled ball of emotions that people go through where, where you may be angry in one moment and rejoicing in the next as you think about great memories you had together. Then you may feel depressed. Then you may feel hostile. You may feel rage. I mean, you feel. And if you're feeling, that's a good thing because sometimes you're numb and, and you can't feel anything. You know what else I felt when I had to go to the morgue to identify her body? Yeah. I remember because she had five tattoos. And when I got there and they showed me her picture, first thing I said, that's not my child. I guess because yeah. I didn't want it to be my child. And my husband said, Cheryl, look at the picture. And I just yeah. fell to the floor and screaming and crying. Actually, they told him to turn me loose because I was falling. And they yeah. were trying to hold me up. And, and they finally said, turn her loose. And I fell to the floor and I asked the coroner, I said, is, does she have the five tattoos? And she said, yes, it was her. And it was, yeah. not that I wanted to deny my child. I was like, no, this isn't my child. Shock. Right. Yeah, I like you said, can't be. Yeah, and denial. Mm -hmm. You know, even Miss Snow, as you were talking, you were describing the situation. You talked about how your son was turning his life around, and and he was pursuing good things and trying to get his act together and doing things. And and right in the midst of that, this tragedy happens, mm -hmm. and, and and it just doesn't seem right and doesn't seem fair. Right. The night before it happened, he had just posted, "No weapon formed against mm -hmm. me shall prosper." prosper. Mm -hmm. So I had just asked God, well, you, you said no weapon formed against him, but it did. So I I just was struggling with it, but I instantly got into grief counseling mm -hmm. and grief mm -hmm. uh, like two weeks later uh, because I was so, I didn't know whether I should cry in front of my, my kids. I was trying to hide it from my mom so she won't get sick. But I end up getting sick holding it in. And, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have to learn how to just cry it out yes, when I want to be strong. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I pray daily. It's mm -hmm. a moment by moment with me. 
Uh, you know, that's you know, the benefit uh, of counsel, having a safe place to express your emotions yeah. and talk about how you feel and to cry it out, scream it out, whatever you need to do. But it's also a good place to be able to talk about the reality of God and, and, and to be able to be ministered to and to receive hope and help and healing. You know, it's a process and the process takes time. And sometimes it's a long time. It doesn't go away right away. And you're right. The holidays were hard. You know, we, we just celebrated the holiday and there are more yet to come. And and each one will have its own set of grief, but you but you can make it through it. It takes time, though. It's not easy. I'm glad you mentioned that, Dr. Sabrina, because I was just going to ask, what were you say? What were you say they can be get to learn to begin to heal? What are the normal phases of grief that one goes through in such a difficult situation? Because we're mm -hmm. kind of out of whack, and we and we <laughs> and understandably so. And so, uh, how can we be able to guilt? had those normal phases of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so so dr jones talked about them a little bit you know in, in the beginning of it basically is, is shock and denial it's like you don't believe this happened it's like this cannot be real it cannot be so and 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 just just wrecking your brains almost literally want to pull your hair out thinking no this can't be happening in me not my family not my child and then from there you do get angry you get angry at the system, angry at the person who did it. Sometimes you're angry with God. You're angry at people around you who are asking you the questions about what happened and why were they there. So you get angry and hostile with a lot of different people. Sometimes you start bargaining and saying, like you said, why, I, I wish I had been there. It should have been me. It should have been somebody else. It should have been. You. So you got all these different emotions going on. And, and we talk about the stages of grief. And, and people have heard Kubler-Ross 1969 stages of grief. And, and let me say, those are just stages. And yes, they're five stages, but everybody doesn't go through them all at the same time. It's not sequential. So it's not like you go from denial and shock and isolation to anger and bargaining, then to depression and finally accepting it. You know, you may go in and out of all of that back and forth. So it's not these steps that you go up one at a time, but you do experience all of these things at some point. You know, everybody doesn't go into it right away. It may be that initially you realize what happened and you accept it right away. But it may be a month later where you're in shock and it's like, did this really happen? You know, am I really going through this? You, you may not cry at all initially because there's so many things you have to handle and so many things you have to deal with. It. And, and I think Miss Snow mentioned trying to hold yourself together for the children and for family and for friends and the community and trying to put on a strong face that you may not even feel your own pain initially. But everybody is being impacted in a different way especially the mom and the dad of the child that's been lost. That's amazing. I, I really want to ask Dr. Jones and Ms. Snow, I'm really curious to know how has your community embraced you since this has all happened? Well, with, um, in my community, the schools, they were really supportive with the kids. Um, I worked for the post office. I'm retired now. And um, my, um, as far as my, my boss and everybody at the job was supportive. I was off work probably about six months. And I remember the first day I came back, one of my um, clerks, he was a um, minister. He, first thing he grabbed me so tight and just kept holding on to me, you know. And then um, with, um, as far as, like I said, the schools, my neighbors and in my community, everybody has been supportive and um, con considerate and have been helpful for the kids. Um, my job has been very, very supportive. Uh, I went back to work um, maybe a month. I was only off a month. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, and uh, I didn't reach out to the community because I just, you know, I don't know these people. I went through the stage of being paranoid, so I wouldn't really let too many people in or around me. That's understandable. Yeah. You know, Jay Rose, I, I appreciate the question in terms of community. And, and, I, and I think when we talk about community, community is broader than just your neighbors. Uh -huh. you know, so we're talking about your support community, those people who are around you, who can be there to listen to you. So that community may be your family, your friends, groups that you're a part of. It may be your local assembly, whatever church you may attend. It, it may be people on your job or support groups. And so that community is more than just the neighborhood. You know, and so we think about how those people are helpful. You know, one of the things I want to encourage you to know is that sometimes those people want to be helpful and they have no idea what to do. You know, they're at a loss for words, sometimes because they haven't had that experience or a similar experience. And sometimes because they're just lost. It's like, I want to help and I don't know what to do. So sometimes they may seem awkward, even in the comments they make or the things that they say. And so this is a place of grace for the person who's experienced the loss and for those who are trying to be available to help you. So sometimes people may stumble over their words. They may ask you questions that seem really insensitive. They may want you to relive the moment and explain it all over again. And just you know, be gracious to yourself and learn to say no if you need to. No, I don't wanna talk about it. No, I don't wanna attend. No, I don't wanna be a part of it because there's a space for you just to grieve on your own. That's not forever, but there is a space for that. But there's also a space for community, a space where sometimes you don't have nothing to say, but you just need to be around other people. You just need to be in the presence of other people. And if people are tired of hearing you talk about it again, that's what counseling is for, where you get a chance to come and talk as much as you want, as long as you want, and tell the story. Because sometimes telling the story is the way you keep that person alive in your memory. I love Dr. Sabrina, how you mentioned about giving yourself grace. And I think sometimes we as sisters, we just don't, we have the grace for everyone else. <laughs> yes. For ourselves as beings. And so, and I like that you mentioned mm -hmm. help and healing. So is, if there's any, are there any resources that sisters can have access to, to care for their mental health during such a traumatic time such as this? Absolutely. You know, one of the things I recommend right away is just good self-care. I mean, listen to your body. You know, when you think about just the basics, I, I would say stay hydrated, drink plenty of fluids because you are crying a lot. You're, you're feeling it and it's coming out. So stay hydrated, drink lots of water, sleep when you are tired. Don't force yourself to stay up and try to keep moving. Rest if you need to. Definitely pray read your Bible, read inspirational uh, words and encouragement, but then also get counseling. You know, I, I am available at Abundant Life Counseling and Coaching. There are other good counselors that are available through different networks, but then also find a friend that you can spend time with. There's also an organization called Grief Share, which is a national grief support group that's free that you can sign up. And usually that's held at local assemblies. And you can just type in grief share and put in your zip code. And it'll tell you what are the groups that are local in your community. And this group is nationwide. And, and so there are resources that are available. There are also organizations that are available for moms of, of children who have been murdered by violence. And so you wanna look online, do some research, reach out to this group and find out what can you do because something is available for you. Great. That's awesome. And uh, I also want to lastly ask Dr. Jones and Ms. Snow, 
Is there any words of encouragement or advice for another sister that may be going through a similar situation and, and just are trying to just dig themselves out emotionally and just trying to figure out how to get through? Do you have any advice for them? Well, I did get therapy and I highly recommend it because um, it helped me. It gave me a chance to talk about how I was feeling and talk about the emotions I was feeling. Because again, like Miss Snow, I had to, I had to hold my my pain in for my grandkids, and which I did, and I needed that out. Also, um, connect with other people. I have done that because actually, when my daughter passed, I had friends that I didn't even know had lost a, a sister or a child. They all contacted me and started talking to me, so you can talk about it. And I have one friend. Um, my daughter's birthday is on New Year's Eve. Every New Year's Eve, he mm. calls me to see how I'm doing, you know, and um, so we kind of connect with each other. And the thing is, um, you need someone that'll listen, you know, because there's times you want to scream, there's times you want to cry, there's times um, you're just angry. I was angry probably for about six years. I wasn't angry at God. I was angry because I felt someone had took my child from me, okay? And it took me, the Lord to help me let that go. It took me a long time. A long time and then finally I had came to the point I said okay Lord help me because I didn't have the strength to do it mm. but um, to connect with people and communicate don't hold it in that's all I can say that's what helped me what's helping me on a moment by moment because it is moment by moment mm -hmm. I stay prayed up I know that I am not alone in this long journey that a lot of us parents unfortunately have to walk uh, also what helps me uh, I do belong to a church they are awesome um, get you some positive people and stay around positive people that always could give you a good word from the higher power and that that's what helps me to know that my son wouldn't want me to keep crying. He wants me to be happy and still take care of his babies. Hmm. So that's what keeps me going um, on a daily basis um, at this time, moment by moment, because it's all still fresh and new. Mm -hmm. Grief counseling is a must mm -hmm. and don't hold it in. I learned, I'm learning the hard way. Don't hold it in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to not be okay. Hmm. This and when people ask you, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Be honest. Mm -hmm. I learned that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. and, and that's great. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. Okay. And, and while time may not heal all wounds when it comes to the loss of a child, there is help out there for sisters to not feel alone and continue to heal long-term. Ladies, I'd like to thank all of you for sharing your experiences and your strength with us. Uh, our hearts and prayers go out to your families. And with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back here at Sisters on Be More Radio. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Are you okay? 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 Are you okay?
I don't know what to do. I cannot stop myself but for crying. All the mother here who are mother, you know the pain that we go through to have to give birth to a child. And as a parent, I was thinking maybe it was my son who's going to bury me. He will assist me to my funeral. But what is so astonishing, I am the one burying my son. When we ran away from war from Congo because we were in an uh, area that was not safe, there was a war. And I thought that I came to a safe land, a heaven, uh, a safe place. And I start thinking now, I'm, I'm surprised and astonished to see that my son is here, that my son has been killed with bullets. I hear that my heart, I see my heart being broken really. Say that was my beloved son and you know how you love your firstborn son. And I cannot have another one who's going to replace Patrick. And for that, I need justice for my son. There's something about a mother's pain that sends a sense of heartbreak to everyone. Welcome back to Sisters. And we are continuing the conversation about the tragic loss of our young people to murder and gun violence. Uh, one such murder recently, tragically, took the life of Patrick uh, Loyola, who at the hands of Grand Rapid Police uh, was shot and killed on April 4th, this past April 4th. And that was his mother that we just heard. Uh, joining us here to talk about these injustices is our next guest is Bryce Huffman, an award-winning journalist and podcast host for Michigan Radio and is now over at the nonprofit news organization Bridge Detroit, covering stories that impact our community. Bryce, thank you for joining us and sharing some of your reporting with us. Thanks for having me. Glad to help. Great to have you as well. So uh, let's start with any particular updates on, on Patrick's case. Um, for those who may not be familiar with this story, uh, can you give us a little bit a brief of what's, what happened and, and are there any updates on this case? Yeah, so uh, on Monday, April 4th in the morning, uh, Patrick Lioya, 26-year-old Congolese refugee uh, living in Grand Rapids, was actually shot and killed by a Grand Rapids police officer. Uh, so what we know now is that Michigan State Police are doing their investigation. Uh, we know that the police department has not officially given the name of the officer. The attorneys for uh, Leoya's family have had an independent autopsy done that finds the cause of death was in fact a gunshot wound to the back of the skull. Uh, and right now, we're waiting to see what Kent County uh, does as far as pressing charges uh, and what Michigan State Police do as far as concluding the investigation and giving out their findings. All right. Have you had uh, any opportunity as of yet to speak with Patrick's mother? And if so, uh, how was that? Yeah, I was actually at the press conference uh, that you guys played the clip from. Um, I didn't get my question answered exactly, but. All of us in the room, uh, journalists, there were activists, there were just people from the community who had heard about the event and wanted to show support. Uh, we all listened to her words and we all gathered, uh, you know, just from, from her emotion, from her tears, um, from her actual statements that 
Uh, Patrick's death was not only unnecessary, it could have been completely prevented um, had the officer acted differently. In the family right now, uh, they want justice, and that looks like the police department being held accountable, the officer's name being made available to the family and the attorneys and the public. And they just want to make sure that the police department changes so this doesn't happen to anyone else. Exactly. Um, can you tell us about, uh, there was a recent article that you wrote recently about the Congolese community and any refugee for community for that matter that struggles to understand law enforcement and kind of how justice kind of works in America as far as policing. Can you tell us a little bit about that article? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the idea really came from uh, if you if, if you watch the video, a lot of I know a lot of people couldn't kind of bring themselves to watch it. But if you watch the video, um, it starts with just a routine traffic stop, um, something that many of us in America have been prepared for. You know, as, as, as black people, we're taught by our parents, our grandparents, our aunties and uncles how to act when the police stop us. Uh, we're you know, we have the whole two hands on the steering wheel. You know, yes, sir. No, sir type of thing that we're taught from birth. Uh, but if you watch the video, you notice immediately Patrick gets out of the car to talk to the officer. And that's something that's like a huge no-no for us as black Americans, but for someone coming from a different country, a different culture, that's not how it operates over there. So, uh, you know, you see the disconnect immediately. And that's something that the refugee community has never really been uh, educated on. That's not something that they're going to get at a resettlement agency when they get here and they're learning English for the first time in many cases. So the article really highlights um, just that need for, for more awareness of how things work here in America. And unfortunately, if you're a refugee coming from Africa uh, and you're black like us, that means learning all of the ways in which we are not treated equally here. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because of his immigrant status, he may not have even known like what is even the proper protocol because um, when he kind of got out, I was wondering the same thing. Like, does he know that, you know, this can be seen as uh, unfortunately threatening to someone? And so in your reporting, I'm you connect the dots as, as it relates to what happened to Patrick and the larger issue of the long history of the tensions and mistrust between the black and brown Grand Rapids residents and the police. Can you let us know a little bit more about that history and now how his murder plays into this ongoing story of injustice? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I actually, uh, I lived in Grand Rapids for three years and covered the police department while I was living there. Um, and one of the very first stories that happened that kind of brought my awareness to the fact that GRPD has a problem on its hands uh, just a couple months before I got there, five unarmed black boys were coming out of a community center when GRPD uh, officers pulled them over and held guns at them, uh, you know, threatened to arrest them, all of these terrible things. And these are five, you know, boys. These are not men or even teenagers. These are five boys being held at gunpoint. So I knew that there was a problem then. Uh, I believe it was the very next month, a traffic stop study came out that said black drivers are twice as likely to get pulled over in the city as white drivers. So, you know, I'm coming into this city for the first time and I'm seeing all of these racial tensions with the police uh, and they kept happening the entire time I was there. And even though the department said, hey, we're going to change, hey, we're going to bring in, you know, uh, a law enforcement consultants to help us fix this problem, the problem still persisted and people 
uh, on the street level, people in the community were saying, hey, if you don't stop how you act, we're going to end up with a situation much like what happened to Patrick. And unfortunately, those people were right. Wow. And where can our sisters be able to gain access to more of your reporting in order to, in order to learn more about this story? So you can uh, you can look me up on bridgedetroit.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Bryce Huffman 313. Uh, you could also type my name into Google. Most of my work will come up right away. Um, but really, there's a lot of great reporters reporting on this case right now. It's not just me. Uh, Bridge Michigan also has uh, another reporter who's done some of the reporting on this. Michigan Radio, where I used to work, they currently are reporting a lot on this. Uh, all of the local news outlets in Grand Rapids, you know, have been following the issue of policing for a long time. So it's not just me. Uh, I cover policing currently in Detroit. So I kind of get to see the, uh, the differences and the similarities. But really, there's a lot of reporters covering this and a lot of people in the community, uh, not even in Grand Rapids, but people in West Michigan as a whole, who've been warning the police that this sort of thing could happen. With that, I'd like to thank you, Bryce, for first off being the first brother on our sister show that we've had this far and spending some time with us and sharing your insights and keeping us updated on this ongoing story. So we really appreciate having you with us. Thanks for having me. I'd love to love to come back anytime. Oh, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> and uh, so with that, in closing, if we have learned anything today, it's that these senseless murders of our young people are not acceptable. And the tears and the cries of a mother tears us all apart, but it affects the psyche of the entire community. And time, again, doesn't heal all wounds, but it's sisters that always have to carry the burden of bearing their children and staying strong for those who still remain. And so it is our responsibility as a community to contribute to that fight against injustice. And so that maybe another sister doesn't have to endure that unnecessary heartache. And so with that, we thank you for joining us right here at Sisters on Be More Radio.